Welcome to Midlife Musings, where we talk about life living in a female body in our midlife. We talk about health, rites of passage, love, relationships, our inner life, ageing, death, motherhood, how we can support each other in community and what it means to be human at this time in the world. I'm Kelly Sterling and I hope you enjoy listening to these stories that I'm sharing. Welcome to my podcast. Today I'm so excited to have Ellen Clark here. She's a friend and colleague of mine, a wonderful coach. Ellen is multi-talented. She is a life transitions coach like me, which is why I have her here today to talk about life transitions. She is an art therapist. She is an emerging death doula and she's training in somatic experiencing. Hi, Ellen. Hello. How are you? <laughs> good. Yeah, good. How did you get to be where you are today? Like you've got all these amazing experiences and trainings behind you. What led you to be a life transitions coach? It was a really random series of events like most of my life. And interestingly, one of the things that I love about life transitions is how you just, a lot of it is trusting and stepping into the unknown without really necessarily knowing what's going to happen next. And so my journey from working, I was a sales coach teaching call center staff how to sell things um, and doing customer experience benchmarking and feeling very depressed and <laughs> checked out of life and like oh is this how can I even manage to do another 20 years of this life 30 40 50 like how many years do I have left this is horrible and I saw a um a thing online for the art therapy training that I ended up going to do and I was like oh that looks like a year long a two year long group therapy class where I get to just go and make a mess <laughs> and I never actually wanted to be an art therapist when I signed up for that but um halfway through I was like actually I'm quite good at this and this is really fun so hmm and got out of that and the same thing happened again with the life transitions and sexuality work and it's like oh that's a really good training I need to sort that stuff out in my own life I'm just going to sign up for that and again it's like oh this is actually really good to add to this and then there was like oh there's still a piece missing what is the missing thing this doesn't fixing anything like everything like I thought it was going to that quest for having my life be fixed which I now know is probably never going to happen because fixed is not a state that you can really reach <laughs> um and then I learned about trauma and I was like oh nervous systems and that's the foundation of all things so it's yeah kind of, that led me to somatic experiencing and then the end of life work started because I was um, sort of more for personal reasons. My mom was supporting her partner through the end stages of his life and she was trying to do it all herself and getting burnt out and stressed and um, was causing health problems for her. And my dad's cousin is actually a death doula and she does training. So I reached out to her and she's like, well, how about I do a personal training for you, your mom, your brother, whoever wants to do it. And so we did that and loved it so much that mum and I went on to do her following training and did more in it. So Wow. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah. And so what where's your sweet spot? Like what what is it that you like to work through when you're coaching people? 
my sweet spot is really, like I said before, it's that unknown, like in the mystery of not knowing and getting comfortable with like people who are ready for change or they're looking for something or they've been through some kind of transition. Like I was working with a client who'd just been through a divorce and she's like, mm. I had a big party when I got married. Like, where's my divorce party? This is, mm. I don't want to just get the receipt from my submitting my divorce papers and be like, see you later. I'm different now and I've been through this big thing for the last few years of separation like where's my ground who am I why is nobody relating to me like this new person because I feel Mm. new and it's sort of all of those questions when we go through some kind of transition like that or even just if our life feels like it's too small and it doesn't really fit right anymore yeah that's kind of the sweet spot because it brings in everything like it brings in the creativity it brings in the transition work it brings in like end of life stuff often because that fear of the unknown the fear of death it's sort of a similar kind of yeah yeah it brings everything together in a really beautiful way and I feel like um we don't really do aging or death really well in the western world at all Mm. well no one does aging really well anywhere really do they and Um, just in terms of midlife transition I feel like that's just such a massive part of it is coming to terms with your aging and with your body changing for any transition Mm. really but that one in particular if you want to set yourself up for a good life good second half of life is sort of embracing those aspects of yourself but then I think you know when I went through chemo last year I thought you know one of the things that was really obvious to me is in the healing process, you almost have to embrace your death to keep Mm. on living. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's really interesting that like, it's easy to say, oh, we need to embrace the aging process. But part of that is really embracing the grieving that goes along with it. And we don't do grief very well in the Western world either. So it's really hard to kind of like embrace the, journey the adventure that is getting older and all of these changes and different things that we have to go through but also embrace that part of that is grieving and that that's important and natural Mm. and it's sort of another rite of passage that we have to go through is this grieving process of what we've lost yeah what we're stepping out of particularly because you know it's like we're supposed to be young and beautiful and vibrant forever and be 20 forever and ever and it's like our whole culture is kind of set up to make it really hard to let that go and mm. step into the gifts that come with more middle or second half of life, like the wisdom and the confidence and the capacity to be more or do something in the world with all of that wisdom and things that we've learned along the way. I think it's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, part of the healing journey always is learning to accept all the aspects of yourself and you know what I've noticed as I'm getting older particularly around this stage is that um, one of the beautiful things that happens to a lot of women well men and women but women in particular is learning to embrace their kind of weirdness and their their inner freak and just (laughs) going with it and you can see it in older ladies that do because they sort of the way they dress the way they hold themselves how they show up in the world they just mm. go for it and I really love it and you know you were telling me that story tell it again the other week about the ladies having yeah. lunch with the champagne and yes. I thought 
after we spoke and I thought, yeah, they're really embracing the inner freak big time. Totally, totally. I was having lunch at a cafe with a friend and this older woman, I think she would have been maybe in her 70s or even 80s perhaps, and she had these gorgeous embroidered pants on, like very bright colours on white fabric and this beautiful umbrella that had Bird of Paradise flowers printed all over it and she just looked wonderful. And she met a friend who was also pretty nicely decked out and sat down and the waitress was like, oh, it's only two of you, so clearly it's something they do pretty regularly. And she just popped next door to the bottle shop, came back with a bottle of Moe and the waitress opened it for her and I'm just like, oh, just because. I don't know, where was it? Thursday afternoon. <laughs> I'm like, that's going to be me when I get old, if I make it to that old. And then I'm like, why can't it be me today, actually? But I'm loving that. Just yeah. permission to really embrace that, you know, weirdness and step into that. Oh, I don't have to care about any of the things and conforming and fitting into that beautiful ideal that I used to worry so much about when I was younger. Yeah. Well, it's kind of finding the sacredness or the divine in the ordinariness of your life, really, isn't it? Yeah. And just yeah. being with that and enjoying it rather than kind of looking externally or outside mm. for it. Tell us about being a death doula. Like what, what is involved in that and what is that about? It's such an interesting concept and idea and I imagine something that's incredibly supportive for families. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really beautiful, beautiful work. And I feel like as I'm finding my way with it, it can be so many things. It's yeah. more the, it's not a medical, it's a non-medical role, support role for either the families or the person who's coming towards the end of their life. Um, and it's really around offering emotional support, offering spiritual support, offering a lot of knowledge and information around what options you have available because it's kind of not really we don't talk about it and we don't do it well and it's sort of you think oh I've just got to go to Tobin Brothers and they'll just give me this cookie cutter funeral and it's sort of we do a slideshow on PowerPoint of their life and that's mm. um, kind of it but the bit that really interests me is the ritual and creating meaningful ceremonies for families to honour mm. the end of life and honour their person in a way that fits their persons like what they would have liked and what they would have shows their personality and creates um like a I guess gives time as well like it's sort of a lot of people don't know that they can have their person's body at home with them for a while afterwards if they want an opportunity to come and just be with them and say goodbye and it's um interesting to me that we've sort of outsourced aging and dying we've got aged care facilities we've got mm. hospitals and we don't have like back in the day we did all that at home we'd lay them out yeah. in the front room, wash our people we'd prepare yeah. them we'd have time to I guess have a begin a healthy bereavement which we don't have so much when it's all kind of sanitized and we can go and view them for half an hour and then that's it and it's sort of so it's really bringing the humanity back into it, bringing mm. slowness back into it, bringing a sense of ritual and ceremony and just like a, a time and a space to begin that healthy kind of bereavement and change the relationship with the person. Because a relationship with the person whose life has ended continues on, mm. but it just sort of shifts. It's not like, oh, bam, that relationship's done, we're gone. It's like you continue to relate to them and their energy and who they were for you as they 
um, as they've passed away. So it's mm. all that kind of stuff is what's really lights me up about this sort of work. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my grandmother telling me years, this long time ago, that um, she thought that we were a bit sterile about yeah. death and grief. And she said she had a memory of when she was young, maybe about 10, and the little boy next door had passed away from some measles or mumps or something like that and mm. his body was in the front room and they all went in and all the kids went in and had a look and she said he was just so beautiful lying there you know they yeah. were all looking at him and she said it was just the most beautiful thing and we don't do anything like that now and I at the time thought oh my god it's probably you know, 30 years ago um mm. but yeah I mean it was so normalized yeah and yeah. just a part of what happened. Yeah, and something. as they got older and their friends died, you know, they were really sort of into going to funerals and celebrating and seeing all their other mm. friends. And because it was normalised for them, it wasn't yeah. like it is for us where it's sort of a, something that's fearful and mm. to be avoided. Yeah. Yeah, that was something that was covered in the training that I did. It's like how do you talk to children about death it's like don't exclude them because they know yeah and that was something that my mom because we did the training together was like sorry because <laughs> <laughs> when my grandfather died I would have been in about year three and we knew he had died but we didn't go to the funeral we didn't do like, oh no I'll protect you from that and yeah it's just interesting I wonder how that influenced my feelings about death until I got older old enough to understand it a little bit better so one thing that's really struck me in the last year or two is the lack of support for women in particular through a, you know some really big transitions so one being when they become mums mm. um, which now has a name called matrescence like adolescence mm. but matrescence yeah. and there's a whole body of study around it which is great and, um, you know, when you have kids, they have like a two-week checkup, a four-week, a six-week, a 12-week, a 16-week, you know, like so many until they're about two. And the mother gets six weeks at the gynecologist mm. to check that everything's okay. And, you know, if there's issues, physical issues, then that can be dealt with. But no one ever is ever really checking in on... I guess her emergence through that role mm -hmm. and I guess I have mother's groups but I'm not sure they're self-led so when you've got a whole lot of people going through the trans same transition trying to make sense of what the hell is going on in their life I'm not sure it's a it's as supportive as it could be or there's enough role modeling and then yeah. you know there's that midlife piece which can go on for quite a long time so that is a massive transition where people really start to drop a lot of the egoic behaviour and move into adulting really big time. And so many mm. things happen, like divorce. A lot of people have health issues, like me. Um, and it's just massive, massive change. And we've lost that community support that used to be around maybe 100 years ago where you know, other women would support other women through childbirth. Other women would support other women through menopause, through 
just their midlife challenges and struggles. And mm. yeah, I'm, I, I believe that a lot of healing can occur in community. So I'd be really interested on in what your thoughts are on this. Yeah, I think it's really needed, like just sort of on so many levels, because it's really, um, even just from a really basic nervous system co-regulation kind of level, if you're going through something and feeling really unsettled and you're not sure which way's up anymore and having the support around you of people that are regulated and are like, oh, my nervous system can kind of co-regulate with theirs and feel that sense of support mm. and okayness even in the midst of our struggle and our kind of we're finding our feet and finding our way again and just that ability to be held in a group of people that are so accepting of where you are and what's happening for your in your experience is deeply deeply healing I think just to have that kind of my arms want to do this like hug sort of just being held in that because we are social beings and we need to have that connection like that, mm. that sort of thing from birth we need a sense of connection and belonging and to have that not just when things are well and when we're celebrating but also when things are hard to have the people gather around and be like hey you know what you're not alone in this and that we're carrying these loads together and so it's not all on my shoulders helping to support that load and then like oh we can rest in this even if it's hard there's mm. not that kind of bracing against because we can move through with more gentleness and more kind of understanding and compassion for ourselves even because we're receiving that from outside as well mm. So, mm. yeah I wonder if um you know we've talked about before where you said to me you're thinking about pe helping people be okay with just where they are right now, like in terms of their healing journey, whether it's psychological or physical, or whatever, mm. that we're always striving, which is very masculine, to be something, to be better, to be well, mm. um, to be past this where I am now. And mm. I wonder if, you know, that community support and that co-regulation creates that ease in being okay with where you are. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think so. Because if you're in a group of people that are really okay with who and where you are, it's easier to be okay with where you are. With that. Yeah. If they're not needing you to be any different or not needing you to be fixed or changed or if there's that kind of collective understanding and if you've been part of the support for other people going through their own stuff then it's kind of there's that knowing collectively that this is a process you'll get through the other side mm. it's still okay it's happened to any number of us it's part of the human experience mm. it's not something that we need to pathologize or make wrong or it's not this weird scary kind of anomaly of sadness that we're trying to navigate it's like oh this is part of the human experience and while we all have our individual experience of that 
thing that we're going through, whether it's aging, whether it's sickness, or whether it's transition to motherhood. Collectively, most or all of us will have most of those experiences. Mm. And so, like, it becomes something that everybody goes through in their own way, and that kind of makes it more okay than if we're buying into kind of what we're taught and conditioned into of no, we need to stay young forever and we need to stay this forever and we don't look at grieving and we don't look at death so we put them over there and they happen in hospitals and aged care homes and it's very just us on our own in the world I think it's really it just makes me feel really sad that it's like oh we're missing that richness of care and support and community and connection that could hold us through yeah and having a guide and a mentor as well hey yeah yeah others that have walked their path ahead of us it's like oh yeah it makes you feel a little bit more grounded tell us a little bit about um we didn't go there at the start and I realised as you were talking about nervous system regulation we should have talked a little bit about it about the somatic experiencing so some people who are listening may know what it is, but some may not. So maybe mm. sort of beginner's explanation of what somatic experiencing is and how it can help people. Yeah, so somatic basically just means body. So it's a way of experiencing our bodies and our physiology and working with our nervous systems to move through trauma, whether that's like one traumatic incident or whether it's like a kind of more even just being a woman in the Western world, we get a lot of shitty conditioning that adds yeah. up and it's kind of, I like to think of it as a way of supporting people to have more resilience, even more so than moving through trauma. It just mm. gives us more capacity to be with all of life, with more capacity to feel when we move through the hard things without getting stuck, but also more capacity to feel joy and happiness and excitement and um in a way that feels manageable without being too much. Yeah. And what might be some of the reasons that people might come to a somatic experiencing practitioner? Like how would they know it's a good thing for them as Mm. a healing modality? A lot of my clients who I'm working with issues, stress and anxiety, that's those kinds of things. Um, because they're very body-based feelings. Like if you feel stressed, you know it in your body. It's just like kind of and it helps to regulate the nervous system and soothe that kind of stress anxious feeling and to be able to have more capacity to deal with stresses of life so they don't end up there. Mm. Um, any kind of relational trauma, any kind of um, yeah, sort of not feeling okay. I mean, I think it's amazing when everybody should do it. Um, Me too. <laughs> have an experience with it because it just kind of, it's almost intangible how the benefits of it sometimes. Like it's kind of, I've been on my own journey with it for years and I look back and realize I just feel like I'm coming back to life. Like yeah. My kind of experiencing it, looking back and thinking, wow, I used to be quite shut down and dissociated and just sort of coping with yeah. strategies, a lot of coping mechanisms and slowly over the years those have been falling away and I'm like, oh, I feel more present, I feel more vital, I feel more alive, I have more capacity for 
supposed to be there and the bad things in life just to kind of breathe them and handle yeah. them rather than having to kind of check out or get too stressed about things. And it's been a slow journey where I just kind of look back and go, oh, wow, like a year ago, I wouldn't be handling this like I am now. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I've done it for a while but I've done a lot of nervous system repair work for the last 20 years Mm -hmm. but I I I mean I did it through my chemotherapy and I think a couple of things for me were um, how I was able to navigate that whole process in a reasonably robust way like it's quite it's very Mm -hmm. challenging Um, and also you know obviously when you have the drugs your nervous system goes into hyper arousal just because it's poison mm. essentially and so you get a whole mm. lot of stuff happening you know you get the clench fist and your heart rate goes up and so being able to be with that and not panic and yeah. know you know know what was going on um and being able to the, the thing that struck me about chemo and this might not be true for all people but you know, birth can bring up a lot of previous trauma for women. So a lot of women are traumatised in the birth process, but a lot of women um, have old traumas come up post that mm-hmm. and their nervous system is quite different afterward. And it struck me that possibly chemo and maybe radio do the same things for a lot of people. So mm-hmm. I just found it incredibly therapeutic and it's, in, it's very slow and you know that saying less is more that is definitely the case in my experience of somatic yeah. experiencing yeah so yeah slow and less is just yeah. so rich as opposed to catharsis that you might get in breath work or yeah it's so hard for a lot of people I'm working with the clients at the moment who struggle with this slow it's just like really frustrating sort of manage the frustration around the slowness of this work and it's mm. amazing like the first nine months or so it was like watching paint dry like that was the capacity that my nervous system had mm. and it was just like it kept showing up but it was just like oh is this ever gonna do anything or like you know it's sort of I trusted because I was training in it and I was working with the science behind it but those little micro shifts emotions like grief in particular and deep sadness sometimes it's really hard to put into words the feelings of that and that was one of the things that I loved about um, the touch work and just using the felt sense is it you don't have to talk about the story of what you're experiencing but using that felt sense language you can get that richness to describe your feelings without talking about what's actually going on. Yeah, yeah. That is one of the things that I do love about it. It's, you can have experiences of like, oh, I don't know what that was, but I just had to be released and I feel better now. I have no story attached to what that sadness was about or what that kind of anger was about. 
that's the thing that I love about art therapy as well. It's like you don't have to speak about, there's no, doesn't have to be words. You can express some of that felt sense and some of those mm. feelings through shapes, through how you're drawing, whether it's hard or whether it's soft, whether you want to tear the paper up and throw it across the room. Like it's really a different way of exploring our emotions and our things that are hard to put words around. Are you still doing the art therapy in your Facebook group? Uh, not at the moment, but I'm going back to it soon. I've been taking a little break from that for a while. Okay. And your Facebook group's called The Grand Adventure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So if anyone's interested in doing art therapy, Ellen does amazing art therapy sessions sometimes in her Facebook group, which I mm. have enjoyed immensely when I've jumped on and done them. Mm. Yeah, it's really how do you, how do you, oh, how do you combine the art therapy in your work? Do you integrate it in your coaching work? I do for a lot of clients. Some clients are like, I'm not creative. I can't draw. I don't want to, I just want to do this other stuff. And that's cool. Um, although it does make me a little bit sad that we've collapsed creativity with artistic kind of talent, a certain sort of talent. Mm. Uh, it integrates so beautifully because it's just another particularly with somatic experiencing because it's another way of um, expressing what's going on somatically so like oh I'm feeling like kind of contracted and crunchy and I don't really it's like cool could we draw the crunchy feeling and just get a sense of what that's like and there's so much power in seeing what your your eternal feeling is out in front of you on the page mm. so think, oh yeah, that's the crunchy feeling. And it helps to create a little container and a little bit of distance from stuff that's really hard to feel when it's in you. And then there's just so much fun to play with. Cool, is there anything you want to add to the crunchy feeling? Depending on what medium we're using, do you want to paint over it? Do you want to fold it up? Do you want to draw something smoother and put that over the top? Like there's ways of as you're expressing what's happening in here and you can see it out there, what's in here changes. And as you look at what's out here, they kind of inform each other. So what you're looking at changes your internal experience, which then changes what you draw, which changes your internal experience. And it's- Yeah, that inner and outer interplay. A really nice way to move through things and change your experience of hard stuff. Mm. It's really fun. Um, I've been watching this show on SBS called Versailles. It's about Louis the Fourteenth and you know building Versailles and the yeah. the, the crazy of um, that period in time, but wonderful. And he said the other night at the episode, and I was like, wow, yeah. Louis said um, that it was so important to have art and music and literature and theatre because that richness is what binds society together and creates mm -hmm. growth but it also to your point about reflecting inward and then reflecting outward it's so supportive of people to live together and express themselves mm. yeah I love that I wish we had more of that in this world that it is so important to have art and music and literature and theatre and just like that kind of it is a richness that reflects who we are and what we are and helps us explore who we are and how we are in the world and how we feel mm. and how we relate to all those things. It's like mm. a container to hold that exploration that I don't know that was found anywhere else. Kind yeah. Of 
I'm not sure. I'm this. Yeah, there's something about that expressive capacity. I mean, I live with a musician and I've got a son that's a budding musician and one that just really likes music. So I see it in the creative expression of music and also how it helps them process whatever's going on inside without having to talk about it. It's very, very therapeutic. Um, Yeah. And my own experience is because, like you, I love to paint. Um. Yeah, and it's amazing what comes out sometimes, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it really is. And it's beautiful doing sort of that internal, I'm just going to draw how I feel. And if Mm. it's something that you do regularly, when I do it regularly, I start to notice, I kind of develop your own visual language. Like, oh, I notice when I feel this, I usually do blue and it's usually up there. And if I put green here, then that feels better noticing this pattern in a lot of my drawings what's that about how does it Mm. relate can I now if I understand that blue feels good can I use that in if I'm feeling a bit less good can I just put some blue on it and maybe it will change my inner experience like you start to develop this kind of language with yourself and with your emotions and with the colors and shapes and mediums you choose to use and it's just so rich it's beautiful Mm. do people like I paint very detailed paintings which is kind of how I what I see in the world is just you know like a kaleidoscope do people have styles like that like do people I wondered if that's the case in terms of how they take in the world and then how they express it back out is there do you see that often there's a what's I don't even know what the word is I'm looking for it's um it's something interpretive isn't it like how we're interpreting the world and what we're seeing it what are the glass the lenses that we have on and how do we see it Mm, yeah a lot of the stuff that my clients do is quite abstract because we're drawing kind of things that aren't super tangible like feelings or emotions or um but it's interesting like how some people feel in the choice of medium some people are super comfortable with coloured pencils and I want to do little things in the middle of the page and some people are like, oh, yeah, give me the crayons, I'm going to draw everywhere. And it's that can be a fun thing to play with as well. If it's um, it's why those mindful mindfulness colouring books are oh, soothing yeah. because if you've got a coloured pencil and you're trying to draw in the lines, it takes a lot of concentration. Like it's very controlled and very focused. So if you're feeling stressed out and you're all over the place, having that focus control, got to get the colour in the line, is really containing. Whereas if you were already feeling quite kind of trapped and contained and I gave you a colour pencil and said, here, colour in this mandala, you'd probably go nuts because it's just like, it's too... Yeah, too tight. A little bit more fluid. Like maybe we can play with a little bit of watercolour or a little bit of finger painting or, you know, something that creates a bit more movement to encourage out of that, like, racing hard yeah actually as you're talking about that I'm thinking yeah sculpting mud on a turntable <laughs> would be really cool for that wouldn't it like the the fluidity of yeah. the wetness of the mud and guiding it up and down that would be quite a liberating because it's mm-hmm. there's such a fluid container well yeah. you're trying to build something solid but it doesn't really matter if you don't it would fall yeah. over and yeah you just have to get out of that perfectionist mindset of like, no, this has to look good. And that's another 
thing that I think is challenging for people stepping into art therapy for the first time is we've got an idea of the outcome. It has to look pretty at the end. It's like you can burn it at the end if you want to. It's not really about what it looks like. It's more about mm. the process of getting through expressing whatever it is, the process of drawing, going through that kind of emotional reflection, self-page, self-page. Mm. Yeah, I started learning watercolour. Well, I taught myself. 12 months ago because I was painting oil and it's such it's a reverse process for the brain so I'm going from learning to painting in layers dark to light now to layers light to dark mm. but it's so particular watercolor whereas in oil you can just make a big mess and yeah. kind of work with it but the thing that I really like about it is you know, I can paint for 15 minutes and then I have to let it dry. So I just leave it and walk away. Mm. Then I come back like three hours later and I do a little bit more and then I walk away. I come back two days later and go, oh, just, you know, so I can still take a week to do something that's much smaller mm. and, and I just have it permanently set up. Um, yeah. But I, I just sort of have these little moments of shifting in and out and it's very much, yeah, a need to sort of express something and, yeah, see how what's going to happen with this and how's it going to work and if I put this, mm. this colour here what would happen and if I shade it here yeah. oh that didn't work all right that's all right just throw it up and get another one yeah that sense of curiosity and play so in terms of life transitions like in an ideal world what do you think we need to do better as a society to support people in general just as a general sort of mm. I think first acknowledge that life transitions are a real thing and super important because it's not really a lot of that. We have a few ceremonies like birthdays and weddings and christenings maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but just really bringing more awareness and attention and intention to them to begin with and Mm. bringing, I think, developing more of a culture of celebration. Like that feels like so many of these life transitions that are really painful and challenging could be more easeful and joyful even in the hard emotions of grief or say if it's end of life and somebody's died but bringing that energy of celebration to it in as well as the grieving like I think developing a culture of celebration around all of these transitions would be a really beautiful first step. One thing that um, I was thinking about the other day, particularly with menopause, is, you know, women grieve, obviously, because they're grieving that they are ageing, but they're also, they're grieving that their cycle's ending, which I understand, Mm. but you're more than just, you know, your menstrual cycle, but a, a grief process for grieving about the things that you haven't done, that you wanted to do, that you just haven't got through. And, of course, like you and I have talked about, because we don't do grief very well, well, then that becomes really, really hard. And mm. um, because we don't do fear very well, you know, anxiety sort of turns up for a lot of yeah. people. But there's such a richness in the transition and it's really about women stepping into a different role in society and that is about being like a community leader, really. Mm. Yeah. And even if we honoured that, what a difference that would make to so many people in how they 
feel about this turbulent time mm. and I wonder how that would impact on their health correspondingly yeah. yep. if you had that sort of level of okayness about it I was talking to my husband about it this morning we were going for our walk very early this morning and um I can't remember why anyway we were talking about the same thing and he said I like the concept of second spring I think it's really good and mm. you know because you know that there's more so much more to look forward to yeah I think because we're given those three archetypes a lot of the time it's like you're a maiden you're a mother and then you're a crone it's like and so it's really beautiful that there's actually like oh no there's a space in between yeah. you don't skip straight from mother to crone yeah the maga phase yeah the maga phase is now becoming a little bit more known and a little bit more recognized and i think that's so important because there's that sort of i think it may it kind of really dampens a lot of women that i speak to who don't know about that like there's another phase in there. It's just like, mm. oh, I'm slipping out of mother and now I'm a crone. And like, oh, there's sort of really, you see their whole language, body language drop and it's just this kind of defeated like, oh, well, that's that's it then. I'm just kind of waiting for the end. Mm. Like, actually, no, there's a second spring in there that's a whole, there's a lot more richness and a lot more waiting for you inside of that. Mm. And I, you know, I think if we had these community containers or support, where um, and it's become quite medicalized as well. So mm. you know, I've heard doctors say, "Well, it's just your period stopping." It's like, well, no, actually, it's psychologically a huge transition for for most women, and mm. you know, the middle passage is massive for men as well. But yeah, I wonder if we had those community containers and this acknowledgement of this role that women could take up as this community leader, if, if it would change the narrative around this and how that would impact on a lot of women's lives in a positive way. Yeah, I see that actually in one of my clients who's sort of in that middle passage and she's stepped, she's just stepping into holding circles, like women's oh, circles. Beautiful. And just watching her journey from like, oh, I really, I want to do that, but oh no, I couldn't do that. Oh, I don't, that's... Mm. to really stepping into it and just sort of toe in the water with a friend doing the first circle and having that received really beautifully and just she's blossoming it's sort of that like oh this is the work that I'm meant to do like I found this I need to create this kind of connection this kind of sisterhood this kind of I want women when they see each other who are in our circles just be like oh there's that kind of sense of belonging together and having been through this beautiful experience together she's like that's what I'm here for so wow that's really yeah. beautiful isn't it yeah I mean I, I feel like some women really because of that experience and just finding their voice and and finding their freak in them like they really step into their power and their strength that they have and their, mm. pur their purpose more to the point yeah and I, yeah. and I, you know, going back to what you're talking about with divorce before, because I think, you know, for many years, and it can be, it can be really challenging. There's a lot of friction, it can be a lot of friction in terms of the mm -hmm. financial settlement involved that creates a lot of constriction for people. And I think, you know, in the past, well, it's been, perceived as such a negative thing but the reality is 
you know, it's I often marvel at people who've been married a long time and we do we do reward longevity in a relationship and people can mm. be miserable the whole time. And yeah. there's you know, when people consciously choose not to be together anymore because they are growing in different directions, which is the common situation because let's face mm-hmm. it, like we all grow and change so much. Why can't we be okay with that? Yeah. Why can't we be okay with the fact that, you know, it's we're kind of getting squeezed through this tube of toothpaste together at the same time and it's kind of a miracle if we come through it at the same pace at the same stage given all the complexities of what's going on Mm. and just looking at some people in my life that are doing a really good job of dealing with the family system post that you can see that it doesn't have to be such a horrendous experience Mm. yeah I really love that sort of just dismantling that belief that oh it's it's successful if it's forever it's like well you could be with someone for two weeks and have a successful relationship (laughs) (laughs) why can't we have more of that why can't we just change the yardstick for success from longevity to what did you learn what did you grow how did you grow like what did you contribute to each other's journeys and yeah how did it end in a way that felt nourishing for both people? Like, mm. I mean, it's not always possible, but, yeah, more of that kind of attitude than, well, it doesn't really matter if you're miserable, but 50 years, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I think we're measuring the, the wrong yardstick, really, aren't we? Mm. Well, I think that's probably all the questions that I have for you today is there anything mm-hmm. else that you wanted to mention just before we sign off just mm-hmm. in terms of transitions and giving you know what's your final thought that you'd want to leave listeners with final thought I think there's a lot of power in shifting our attitude towards the scary places the unknown the transition times from oh shit to oh what might be there it's like a subtle from Mm. what if to ooh what if yeah yeah I like that yeah what is possible yeah yeah curiosity rather than fear Mm. yeah and that the best way to do that is with support so that community connection container or with somebody that's trained to help through life transitions like you or me but it's like we can do these things and we don't have to do them alone yeah yeah it's beautiful I love it Mm. awesome thank you you're very welcome so if people want to find you so you're on Facebook and your group's called the Grand Adventure and on Instagram which account is Ellen is magic on Instagram Ellen is magic that's right and do you have a website I do. It's Ellen May. So my middle name is May. So yeah. on Facebook, I'm Ellen May as well. M-A-Y. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Dot com dot A-U. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's always fun having these conversations with you. <laughs> yeah, I like talking to you too. Okay. Yeah. See ya. Awesome. Bye.